Chapter Eleven of Florence Nightingale, the Angel of the Crimea. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Florence Nightingale, the Angel of the Crimea, by Laura E. Richards. Chapter Eleven, The Lady with the Lamp. Whene'er a noble deed is wrought, whene'er is spoken a noble thought, our hearts in glad surprise to higher levels rise. The tidal wave of deeper souls into our inmost being rolls, and lifts us unawares out of all meaner cares. Honor to those whose words or deeds thus help us in our daily needs, and by their overflow raise us from what is low. Thus thought I, as by night I read of the great army of the dead, the trenches cold and damp, the starved and frozen camp, the wounded from the battle plain, in dreary hospitals of pain, the cheerless corridors, the cold and stony floors. Lo, in that house of misery a lady with a lamp I see pass through the glimmering gloom, and flit from room to room and slow as in a dream of bliss the speechless sufferer turns to kiss her shadow as it falls upon the darkening walls as if a door in heaven should be opened and then closed suddenly the vision came and went the light shone and was spent on england's annals through the long hereafter of her speech and song that light its rays shall cast from portals of the past a lady with a lamp shall stand in the great history of the land a noble type of good heroic womanhood nor even shall be wanting here the palm the lily and the spear the symbols that of yore saint philomena bore miss nightingale's headquarters were in the sisters tower as it came to be called one of the four corner towers of the great building here was a large airy room with doors opening off it on each side in the middle was a large table covered with stores of every kind constantly in demand constantly replaced and on the floor and flowing into all the corners were more stores bales of shirts piles of socks slippers dressing gowns sheets flannels everything you can think of that is useful and comfortable in time of sickness about these piles the white-capped nurses came and went like bees about a hive all was quietly busy cheerful methodical in a small room opening off the large one the lady-in-chief held her councils with nurses doctors generals or orderlies giving to all the same courteous attention the same clear calm helpful advice or directions here too for hours at a time she sat at her desk writing letters to sidney herbert and his wife letters to lord raglan the commander-in-chief who though at first averse to her coming became one of her firmest friends and admirers letters to sorrowing wives and mothers and sisters in england she received letters by the thousand she could not answer them all with her own hand but i'm sure she answered as many as was possible one letter was forwarded to her by the herberts which gave a great pleasure not to her only but to everyone in all that place of suffering it was dated windsor castle december sixth eighteen fifty four 
would you tell mrs herbert wrote good queen victoria that i beg she would let me frequently see the accounts she receives from miss nightingale or miss bracebridge as i hear no details of the wounded though i see so many from officers etc about the battlefield and naturally the former must interest me more than any one let mrs herbert also know that i wish miss nightingale and the ladies would tell these poor noble wounded and sick men that no one takes a warmer interest or feels more for their sufferings or admires their courage and heroism more than their queen day and night she thinks of her beloved troops so does the prince beg mrs herbert to communicate these my words to those ladies as i know that our sympathy is much valued by these noble fellows victoria i think the tears may have come into those clear eyes of miss nightingale when she read these words she gave the letter to one of the chaplains and he went from ward to ward reading it aloud to the men and ending each reading with god save the queen the words were murmured or whispered after him by the lips of sick and dying and through all the mournful place went a great wave of tender love and loyalty toward the good queen in england and toward their own queen their angel who had shared her pleasure with them you will hardly believe that in england while the queen was writing thus some people were still sadly troubled about miss nightingale's religious views and were writing to the papers warning other people against her but so it was one clergyman actually warned his flock not to subscribe money for the soldiers in the east if it was to pass through popish hands he thought the lady-in-chief was a catholic others still maintained that she was a unitarian others were sure she had gone out with the real purpose of converting the soldiers to high church views in reading about this kind of thing it is comforting to find one good irish clergyman who being asked to what sect miss nightingale belonged replied she belongs to a sect which unfortunately is a very rare one the sect of the good samaritans but these grumblers were only a few we must think the great body of english people was filled with an enthusiasm of gratitude toward the angel band and its leader from the queen in her palace down to the humblest working woman in her cottage all were at work making lint and bandages shirts and socks and havelocks for the soldiers nor were they content with making things every housekeeper ransacked her linen closet and camphor chest piled sheets and blankets and pillowcases together tied them up in bundles addressed them to miss nightingale and sent them off when sister mary aloysius first began to sort the bales of goods on the wharf at scutari she thought that the english nobility must have emptied their wardrobes and linen stores to send out bandages for the wounded there was the most beautiful underclothing and the finest cambric sheets with merely a scissors run here and there through them to ensure their being used for no other purpose some from the queen's palace with the royal monogram beautifully worked yes and the rats had a wonderful time with all these fine and delicate things before the sisters could get their hands on them these private gifts were not the only nor the largest ones the times which you will remember had been the first to reveal the terrible conditions in the crimea now set to work and organized a fund for the relief of the wounded 
a subscription list was opened and from every part of the united kingdom money flowed in like water the times undertook to distribute the money and appointed a good and wise man mr macdonald to go out to the east and see how it could best be applied and now a strange thing came to pass the sort of thing that in one way or another was constantly happening in connection with the crimean war mr macdonald went to the highest authorities in the war office and told of his purpose they bowed and smiled and said the times and its subscribers were very kind but the fact was that such ample provision had been made by the government that it was hardly likely the money would be needed mr macdonald opened his eyes wide but he was a wise man as i have said and so he bowed and smiled in return and going to sidney herbert told his story to him go said mr herbert go out to the crimea and he went when he reached the seat of war it was the same thing over again the high officials were very polite very glad to see him very pleased that the people of england were so sympathetic and patriotic but the fact was that nothing was wanted they were amply supplied in short everything was all right many men after the second rebuff would have given the matter up and gone home but mr macdonald was not of that kind while he was considering what step to take next one man came forward to help him one man who was brave enough to defy red tape for the sake of his soldiers this was the surgeon of the thirty-ninth regiment i wish i knew his name so that you and i could remember it he came to mr macdonald and told him that his regiment which had been stationed at gibraltar had been ordered to the crimea and had now reached the bosporus they were going on to the crimea to pass the winter in bitter cold amid ice and snow and they had no clothes save the light linen suits which had been given them to wear under the hot sun of gibraltar here was a chance for the times fund without more ado mr macdonald went into the bazaars of constantinople and bought flannels and woolens until every man in that regiment had a good warm winter suit in which to face the crimean winter did anyone else follow the example of the surgeon of the thirty-ninth not one probably many persons thought he had done a shocking thing by thus exposing the lack of provision in the army for its soldiers comfort this was casting reflection upon red tape better for the soldier to freeze and die than for a slur to be cast upon those in authority upon the rules of the service so though macdonald stood with hands held out as it were offering help no one came forward to take it he went to scutari and here at first it was the same thing he offered his aid to the chief medical authority over the hospitals the reply was calm and precise nothing was wanted he went still higher to another and more august quarter the answer was still more emphatic there was no possible occasion for help soldiers and sailors had everything they required if he wished to dispose of the times fund it might be a good thing to build an english church at pera yet at that very time says the historian of the crimea wants so dire as to include want of hospital furniture and of shirts for the patients and of the commonest means for maintaining cleanliness were afflicting our stricken soldiery in the hospitals mr macdonald did not build an english church instead he went to the barrack hospital and asked for the lady-in-chief i should like to have seen florence nightingale's face when she heard his story no help needed 
the soldiers supplied with everything they needed everything all right come with me she said she took him through the wards of the barrack hospital and showed him what had been done and what an immense deal was yet to do how though many were comfortably clad yet fresh hundreds were arriving constantly half naked without a shred of clean or decent clothing on their backs how far the demand was behind the supply how fast her own stores were dwindling and how many of the private offerings were unsuitable for the needs they were sent to fill how many men were still after all her labors lying on the floor because there were not beds enough to go around all these things good mr macdonald saw and laid to heart but he saw other things besides perhaps some of you have visited a hospital you have seen the bright fresh pleasant rooms the rows of snowy cots the bright faces of the nurses here and there flowers and pictures seeing two or three hundred patients it has seemed to you as if you had seen all the sick people in the world was it not so in the barrack hospital and this remember was but one of eight and these eight the english hospitals alone there were two or three thousand patients it was a city of pain its streets were long narrow rooms or corridors bare and gloomy no furniture save the endless rows of cots and mattresses packed like sardines as one eyewitness says its citizens men in every stage of sickness and suffering some tossing in fever and delirium some moaning in pain that even a soldier's strength could not bear silently some ghastly with terrible wounds some sinking into their final sleep following the light slight figure of his guide through these narrow streets of the city of pain macdonald saw and noted that wherever there is disease in its most dangerous form and the hand of the spoiler distressingly nigh there is this incomparable woman sure to be seen her benignant presence is an influence for good comfort even among the struggles of expiring nature she is a ministering angel without any exaggeration in these hospitals and as the slender form glides quietly along each corridor every poor fellow's face softens with gratitude at the sight of her when all the medical officers have retired for the night and silence and darkness have settled down upon those miles of prostrate sick she may be observed alone with lamp in her hand making her solitary rounds the popular instinct was not mistaken which when she set out from england hailed her as a heroine i trust she may not earn her title to a higher though sadder appellation no one who has observed her fragile figure and delicate health can avoid misgivings lest these should fail i confidently assert that but for miss nightingale the people of england would scarcely with all their solicitude have been spared the additional pang of knowing which they must have done sooner or later that their soldiers even in the hospitals had found scanty refuge and relief from the unparalleled miseries with which this war has hitherto been attended look with me for a moment into one of these wards these miles of sick through which the agent of the times passed with his guide it is night outside the world is wide and wonderful with moon and stars beyond the dark blue waters of the bosporus the lights of stamboul flash and twinkle 
Nearer at hand the moonlight falls on the white city of the dead and shows its dark cypresses standing like silent guardians beside the marble tombs Nearer yet it falls full on the bare gaunt square of building that crowns the hill The windows are narrow, but still the moonbeams struggle in and cast a dim light along the corridor The vaulted roof is lost in blackness Black too are the corners and we cannot see where the orderly nods in his chair or where the night nurse sits besides a dying patient All is silent save for a low moan or murmur from one cot or another See where the moonbeam glimmers white on that cot under the window That is where the highland soldier is lying he who came so near losing his arm the other day The surgeon said it must be amputated, but the lady-in-chief begged for a little time she thought that with care and nursing the arm might be saved would they kindly delay the operation at least for a few days the surgeons consented for by this time no one could or would refuse her anything the arm was saved and now the bones are knitting nicely and by and by he will be well and strong again with both arms to work and play and fight with but broken bones hurt even when they are knitting nicely and the highland lad cannot sleep he lies tossing about on his narrow cot gritting his teeth now and then as the pain bites but still a happy and a thankful man he stares about him through the gloom trying to see who is awake and who asleep but now he starts for silently the door opens and a tiny ray of light like a golden finger falls across his bed a figure enters and closes the door softly the figure of a woman tall and slender dressed in black with white cap and apron in her hand She carries a small shaded lamp at sight of her the sick lad's eyes grow bright He raises his sound arm and straightens the blanket and then waits in eager patience Slowly the lady with the lamp draws near stopping besides each cot listening to the breathing and noting the color of the sleepers whispering a word of cheer and encouragement to those who wake and now she stands beside his bed and her radiant smile is brighter he thinks than lamplight or moonlight a few words in the low musical voice a pat to the bedclothes a friendly nod and she passes on to the next cot as she goes her shadow hardly more noiseless than her footstep falls across the sick man's pillow he turns and kisses it and then falls happily asleep and so she comes and passes like a light and so her very shadow is blessed and shall be blessed so long as memory endures end of chapter 11